Carlos Marillo, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it, Mark. Let me start by asking you to explain what industries are these emissions-intensive and trade-exposed industries? Yeah, absolutely. So they tend to be industries that are dependent on fossil fuels and that are generally highly exposed to uh, international competition. So in our study, we identified 13 separate industries. Uh, They tend to be industries in the natural resource extraction sectors, so mainly things like forestry, mining, oil and gas. We also identified electric utilities as being one of those industries, and then a handful of uh, manufacturing industries, such as primary metals manufacturing, forestry products like uh, pulp and paper, as well as petroleum products and concrete products as well. And chemicals, I forgot that one. Now, the government proposes this carbon tax as a needed solution to a worldwide problem of global warming and so on, but obviously your study shows that it has some, I guess, surprising perhaps to some people, side effects. Yeah, absolutely. The main thing that we're looking at in this particular report is what we term as carbon leakage, and basically... What carbon leakage means is sort of a side effect of carbon pricing that results when businesses that face incremental costs decide to move elsewhere. So in this case, the cost of complying with carbon pricing is too high. You might decide to move your activity elsewhere. And unfortunately, that might mean uh, less economic activity in Canada, and that might just mean a shift in emissions to a different location. So it matters because, um, you know, global warming, as, as you know, it's a, it's a it's a global issue, so if you reduce emissions here, but you're just going to increase them elsewhere, uh, it's not uh, an effective tool, uh, but it's a side effect. you know. And like any policy, there's going to be benefits and consequences. We're just trying to understand better what those consequences could be. If you are an industry that can easily move some or all of your uh, polluting production elsewhere in the world, doesn't that require sort of a, a world compliance with a standard set of, of laws? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things. So one is carbon leakage wouldn't be a problem if you had more uniform adoption of carbon pricing across the world. So that's something that we don't have right now. It's certainly something that is trending towards greater adoption. So towards greater adoption, part of me. So so there is more jurisdictions across the world that are adopting carbon pricing. That's certainly something that's been happening. And you know the prices have been increasing, but we're still at levels that are too low. Uh, if you look at the data, something like only 10% of global emissions are actually priced in their carbon pricing, and then the levels of pricing are still relatively low. From a perspective of a national carbon pricing policy, uh, you know th- there are sort of like policy design issues that have already been taken into consideration, uh, which is kind of gives not necessarily subsidies, but almost breaks on on the amount of emissions that are that are charged to these large emitters. So we already have those those kinds of things in place. We're just trying to understand what the magnitude of the potential leakage is and, and, and the impact of, the, of those uh, policy relief sort of levers on, on the potential for leakage as well. But your report says it could, this carbon pricing in Canada anyway, could cost $10 billion in economic activity and up to 50,000 jobs. Yeah, and that's correct. And I mean, here, it's important to put those numbers into context and to put into context the assumptions behind the analysis. First of all, $10 billion in economic activity and 50,000 jobs, um, it sounds like a lot, but to put it into the national context uh, for both of those uh, numbers, they're less than 1% of the Canadian economy. So it's, it's a similar magnitude to what we found in previous studies that we have done around it. However, we shouldn't dismiss those potential negative impacts. And we should also consider the fact that when we think about those particular industries that we identified earlier on, they only account for about 10% of the Canadian economy. But in places like 
Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Newfoundland, they tend to have um, a much higher uh, importance. So they might be more like 25 to 30% of the economy. So so even though this, this impact might not necessarily be large on a national scale, uh, they will tend to be sort of concentrated on, on those prairie and Atlantic provinces. But it also says that the companies subject to the carbon tax simply would pass it on to consumers, which would increase certainly the cost for consumers pretty much across the board because everything is interconnected in terms of what is made. Yeah, and, and that would be the case for certain industries. Um, in, in fact, uh, one of the main challenges that these types of industries, emissions intensive trade sports industries, have is that they are not always able to pass on those costs. And just to give you a simple example, if you were someone like an oil producer and you try to, um, you know, mark up your barrel to a refiner in the U.S. Gulf Coast, well, they're just simply going to buy someone else's barrel, right? Because uh, they're just going to buy whatever is the, the the most economic to them. They're not necessarily going to buy what's the least um, energy or emissions intensive. So, so passing those costs for these kinds of industries is not always an option, and that's mainly the case because of that asymmetry in, in carbon pricing across the world, right? So if everybody pays the same kind of carbon pricing across the world, then the cost of carbon in those goods and services will be reflected in the prices of them. But because there's international competition where everybody pays different compliance costs, that's not necessarily the case. Now, the Saskatchewan Farmers Association calculated their costs and, and found that it would cost Saskatchewan farmers, the, the current carbon tax would cost them billions of dollars, and that was something that they really also couldn't pass along to consumers, so it really hurts the farmers as well. Yeah, and I mean, um, agriculture is not one of the industries that we flag in this particular report, uh, but I'm sure, you know, as, as, as it has brought up by the farmers and it has been brought up by, you know, small business in Canada, you know, a lot of the times the assumption is that these prices can be passed through to the consumers, and therefore, you know, the way the system is designed nowadays uh, the rebates on carbon taxes are mainly uh, sort of like going to the consumers. So it's, it, there's a bit of, of, of a mis- misallocation of who's getting the rebates versus who's paying for the tax, right? And and it's an important consideration, an important discussion to have, uh, but an area that I think we need to be doing more analysis as well. Well, Mr. Murillo, is this in any way related to carbon offsets? Um, because we had, for example, the Prime Minister flying two jets around during the campaign and saying, yeah, it's okay, don't worry about the pollution because I bought carbon offsets. So is, is, is leakage and offsets at, at all related in any way? Um, they are related in the sense that they're uh, both tied to uh, emissions reduction sort of instruments and, and tied to carbon prices. Don't they both sort of just shift the problem elsewhere in a way? Well, leakage shifts the problem elsewhere. Offsets is trying to compensate for. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I guess you're right. I mean, they, they would both they would both be sort of shifting the problem the problem elsewhere. There's just a different a different sort of angle of, of looking at it, right? So, Mr. Murillo, uh, because of this issue of carbon leakage, do you offer any solutions or suggestions, shall we say, to to mitigate the situation? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that we are not necessarily addressing in this report. Uh, the main motivation for this particular research is that we have carbon pricing in place in Canada pretty much everywhere right now. And we know that it's here to stay. Uh, we know that carbon leakage is one of those potential uh, unintended consequences. And we do know that governments, you know, at, at their environment department or whatever departments are, are dealing with this type of issues, 
have done the analysis, but there's not a lot of publicly available analysis on what the potential for leakage is. So from our perspective, uh, if we are not able to um, gauge or understand the size of that potential leakage, how can we possibly manage it, right? So, so from our perspective, what we're trying to do is to start to put the numbers around it so we understand it better, so that we can gauge it and then we can understand better how we can manage it. And as a final thought, then, the, the government has promised to increase carbon tax uh, prices over the coming years. Is that only going mm-hmm. to make the leakage potential worse? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's a, again, leakage is a relative problem, right? So if we see um, greater adoption of carbon pricing around the world, and if we see carbon prices around the world increasing at the same time as we are doing something similar, then we wouldn't say that the magnitude is going to increase. But if we are moving at a faster pace than everyone else, then we can certainly say that, that the risk of leakage would increase over time. Carlos Mirello, thank you very much for this. Thanks, Carlos. I appreciate it.